you have found the podcast of Trustler Mennonite Church. Each week we replay the sermon from our Sunday morning service so that anyone who may have missed the sermon can catch it later. We want to especially thank those of you who missed the sermon because you were working with our youngest children during the service time. The sermon was from November 7th, 2021. The opening scripture was read by Linda Sturgis. The text was Ephesians 2, 1-10. Stay tuned or just skip straight to the end to listen to our special music for this Sunday sung by Wayne Warren. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Jesus Christ. So God can point to us in all future ages as as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. You may, some of you, a few of you remember that back in March, I started a sermon with sort of a fairy tale or a storybook story to try to illustrate a point, and that was when we were preaching on Romans 6 and we were talking about how Christians are free from the slavery of sin. This morning as I was, or as I should start over, as I was preparing for this morning, trying to think how to talk about what Paul is saying, I finally decided I want to start with that same fairy tale again because Paul is making a little bit of the same point, but he's coming at it from a different angle. And So the story, if you remember, was about a faraway time, a time of knights and kings and dragons and things like that. But the story was actually about a slave who lived during that time. He was a slave. He had all of the associated evil and oppression and bondage of that until one day a king entered this territory, fought with the evil master, took the slave out of there and gave him a place to live in a new kingdom of freedom and safety. So this slave is now a free man. He's living under a kind government. He has a comfortable house, a nice farm, and as I said, it's probably surrounded by buttercups. But this morning, I want to use that story to, to focus on the idea of the rescue itself, to, to, because that seems where Paul is talking about this time. The slave was in a place of bondage, and then somebody, that rescuer, whoever it is in that story, came and set the slave free. The slave in our story did not escape on his own power or through his own wisdom. He did not fight his way free from this oppressive king. He was rescued. So now I want to look at the text, and then as I work through it, I want to try to 
pull this fairy tale in and hopefully use that to illustrate some of what Paul is saying and what has been on my mind this week. So turn to Ephesians 2 or look at it on the screen, whatever is most convenient for you. The text on the screen is going to be from the New Living Translation. We're in chapter 2, and the funny thing is it came after chapter 1. It's weird how it works that way. Joel was in chapter 1 last week. You can go back and listen to the whole sermon if you want on Facebook or the website, but I want to try to set the scene just briefly so that chapter 2 makes more sense. So Ephesians 1 18, Paul was writing, he says, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope God has given to those he called, his holy people, who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I pray also that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. And then, God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church, and the church is his body. So last week, if I try to summarize what I took away in just a few sentences, we get a picture of Jesus as Lord of all. We are his followers. We experience great blessings and benefits because of that, because of being his followers, we experience the greatness of God's power for those who follow Jesus. It's just an amazing and beautiful picture. But now Paul transitions at the start of chapter 2. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. So in that opening fairy tale of the slave, using that as a metaphor, Paul says that we were all slaves. We lived under the rule of the commander of the unseen powers, and Paul wants to make it clear that all of us were in that same situation and we got there through sin. So the scene is set in our fairy tale. There's the slave in bondage, abused, and yet also participating in that abuse. It's a total mess. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So in that, in that metaphor, now the good king has come and rescued the slave. The slave did not escape. He was rescued. And Paul says it wasn't just that the slave was set free and then said, okay, now you're free. You can go find your own place to live in your own your own way in the world. Actually, for the metaphor to work, the slave who was rescued was then brought to the palace and given a seat at the king's table. And Paul continues, he says, so God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us, as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. So in our passage this morning, Paul starts by stressing our sinfulness, our bondage, our brokenness. That's the slavery part of the metaphor. And then God reached out to us and set us free through the work of Jesus. And that's the rescue 
part of the metaphor. And God did this because he loves us. I realize here the metaphor gets stretched. I could try to make a a complicated story about why the king loves a slave, but we'll just keep the metaphor simple and know that God rescues us because he loves us. Now, it seems to me as I read this that Paul has written this, and then he says, I really want to emphasize to them that they did not rescue themselves. He writes, God saved you by his grace when you believed. You can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpieces. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Now, two weeks ago when I started the book of Ephesians, it was my turn, and I gave kind of a a broad introduction to it at the beginning of the sermon, and I mentioned that Paul spends the first about three chapters giving some background, some ideas, some teaching, some knowledge, and then in chapter four he transitions and he uses that background and those ideas to to go into a lot of application about what it means to live as followers of Jesus. So as I was reading this passage for today, I I came up with four ideas that I think it's good for us to keep in mind so that when we get to that application point in a number of weeks that we're ready. So these are things that came to my mind to, to store in our brains as we get further along in the book. We all lived in slavery to sin, slavery to sin. God set us free through the work of Jesus. We didn't do anything to earn this. And he did this because he loves us and he has a plan or a job for us to do. So keep those in your mind as we go through this series. Points that Paul is going to be sort of building on as we work through the application point. But as I finish my time, I I had one particular thing that was just on my mind throughout this week as I was preparing. And, And now, hopefully if I can explain it, you'll understand why I chose to use that storybook story metaphor because that's what helped it sort of work in my mind and I don't know if it will work for yours or not but in that story imagine that the slave had been a slave for 50 years then he was rescued he was taken to that new land that place of freedom even as the years pass from that point on and he turns 60 and then 70 he's almost certainly going to remember all of those years that he was a slave All of of his youth, his vibrancy, when he was spent and he was used and abused and mistreated, he'll know that even in the prime of life, when he was strongest and healthiest, he never got free on his own. And his body is still probably going to bear lots of scars and wounds and injuries from his time as a slave. I think he'll remember that he was rescued. But I got to thinking, what if the slave was rescued when he was four? The only life he's going to really remember is the life of freedom, of access to the king's table, to sit there with the king, to talk, to eat, a life of relative comfort. He could go to school, he could start a business or take a job, whatever he wanted to do. That's what it means to be free. So this person, when he was rescued at four, well, as he is an adult, as he lives his life, he might know in the back of his mind that he was rescued. 
But I don't know that it's going to sink into his heart so much. Somewhere, somewhere in the depth of his heart, he's going to be tempted to think that, yeah, it was nice that he was rescued, but if he hadn't been rescued at four, surely he would have escaped when he was 18 and strong and healthy, or maybe 25 when he was smarter and wiser. Not a value judgment on those of you who are not 25 yet, but, but the idea that he would be looking back and he'd say, I'm sure I would have gotten out at some point. I mean, look at who I am. Why would I have stayed a slave that wrong? He might admit that the king made his life easier by rescuing him, but it's going to be easy to think he didn't actually need to be rescued. And, then, and you might ask, why do I assume a slave might think this way? I have not talked to anybody who was a slave early in their life, at least not in the way the metaphor is. But I have talked with people who have met Jesus as adults. I've listened to people as they've shared their testimony. I've read books in which they write their testimonies. And many, certainly not all, it's a, it's a big world, but many people that I have either talked with or listened to their testimonies when they meet Jesus as adults or older adults, they know that they were rescued. They know what it's like to live. As Paul described, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. So many of these people, they still bear the, the scars and injuries of their time as slavery. They know they were set free. But I also meet plenty of people who met Jesus while they were young, and many of them grew up in Christian homes, and it seems like many of them don't really seem to quite know that they have been rescued. They'll say the right words. They've heard sermons more or less like this one before. But often in their hearts, they don't actually show in their actions that they truly believe they have been rescued. There seems to be some assumption in the way they live and carry themselves that somehow they're free because they deserve it or they earned it. We wouldn't use these words, but I can see this in other people and I can see the same tendency in myself. And I think our attitudes towards those who are still in bondage can sometimes reveal whether we truly believe that we were rescued, whether we were set free by somebody else, or whether we believe somewhere in the darkness of our hearts that our freedom was the thing that we earned or got ourselves. See, I at least, I find myself struggling with looking down on people, certain people out there in the world, with some dismissal, sometimes even disdain. I look at the sin in their lives or the things they do, and I say, why in the world do they do that? Don't they know better? Why do they keep doing the same dumb thing? Can't they see this is just not a good thing to do? But if I'm using the, the metaphor today of that fairy tale, well, then why would I be surprised if a slave lives as a slave? Isn't the whole concept of slavery the idea that a person is under the control of someone else, that they're in bondage? So... If I blame someone for being a slave, I'm fundamentally, I think, if I'm honest, I'm assuming that they could stop being a slave anytime they wanted. But Paul writes that we were rescued and that it was a gift from God, not by works, so no one can boast. When I look with disdain 
at somebody who is still a slave, I think what I'm really doing is boasting about my freedom and how I'm better than they. And I know this raises lots of questions, some are very similar to what we talked about in Sunday school, the adult Sunday school class. If you weren't there, you should have been. It was great. There, see, there are questions about God's timing, God's choice. There are people that I know who have heard the news about Jesus. They've heard the truth, and it sure feels like they continue to walk in their own way because of their own choice. So in our metaphor, it really feels like the king came, he fought the battle, he pulls up beside with his horse and his wagon, and he says, jump on, I'll take you to my kingdom. And they say, oh no, I like being here better. And so in that extent, they choose to remain as slaves. And I, there's a lot of discussion, disagreement, but for today, at least here, I want to focus on Paul's main point. We were all slaves until we were rescued. And I think if we truly recognize that we were slaves and set free through God's work, through Jesus, I believe that our primary attitude towards those who are still in bondage is going to be compassion. So I challenge you to sort of look at your actions, your words, what you write on social media about people who have not yet been rescued. Would an independent, impartial observer watching you say, I see compassion? Or would they see judgment or perhaps even boasting that you're in a better place and you're not like that? Remember, it's not by works, so no one can boast. Then I got to thinking there's a second angle to this same point. As we we go through the book of Ephesians, if you flip forward, we're going to see that Paul writes a lot about unity. It's a big theme through the rest of this book at different angles and, and different relationships. And I feel like we sometimes have a problem in the church with unity because Christians who were set free long ago, especially, especially when young, they sometimes forget that they were rescued and they look down on Christians who were set free recently. So it's like similar to what I've just been talking about, but a slightly different angle. You see, in my metaphor, the slave set free at four, he's not going to have the scars, the wounds, and the injuries of a long time of enslavement. The guy set free at 50 is going to carry a lot of these wounds and a lot of the struggle. And my guess is that the guy who's been free nearly all his life, he's going to be really tempted to look at the guy who's just recently released and say, this guy's messed up. He can't work for me. Like, he he can't work as hard as me, like like I'm accustomed to doing in my life. So he's constantly needing help from me that he can't do things himself. He sometimes even still acts like a slave doing these things that that he doesn't need to do anymore. That was where I first used this metaphor back from Romans 6, 6, so you can go back and read that. But this idea that he's just a burden to me, this guy, I don't really want him here anymore. But I think if we really understand that we were all slaves and we were all then set free, Rescued, that we didn't do anything to earn our release, when we finally get to that point, we're going to realize that we're all equal before God. And that's going to give us a big jump on the path towards unity. And it's going to make the rest of the book of Ephesians a lot easier. So all of us who are followers of Jesus were once slaves who have been set free, and God continues to set people free. So if you've sat at the king's table for quite a while now, and you're comfortable, and you're well, don't assume that you're somehow better than the one who was just set free recently. Instead, use your 
blessing as an opportunity to care for, to help, and to show compassion for the one who has a lot of wounds that aren't healed yet, and it's going to take a long time to heal. And sometimes, of course, it's not entirely a question just of length of time, how long somebody has been a follower of Jesus, when they were rescued. Some people have sustained a whole lot more injuries in the past, and it's going to take a long time, and we should care for each other. I met a man a number of years ago now, and he shared about a time in his life when he had a really painful and difficult illness from which he ultimately recovered completely. But it was very frightening, very terrifying, and he was, he was really worried for a while. But once he got better, he shared that he always will try to find people who are experiencing the same illness. It's rare, but it happens. It's not a very common illness, but when he hears of it, he'll go visit the people if they want visited. He'll help them in any way that he can help them, even if it's a long-term offering of help, because he knows it can take quite a while. Because he said, you know, I walked that road, and it wasn't any fun, and I don't want anybody to walk it alone. And so when we believe that we were once slaves set free by God, when we truly believe that salvation is not a reward for our actions, but a gift from God, and that we cannot boast about it, I think at that point we're going to respond with compassion to those people around us who are still enslaved. We're going to work to be part of God's, God's um, effort to set them free. Then when we find people in our church who have been set free and are, are more recently set free and are dealing with a lot of things, we're going to respond again with love because we'll know we walked that road in some way that God set us free as well. So people might carry a lot of scars for a long time, but let's show love and compassion for them as we remember what God has done for us. You have been listening to the Tressler Mennonite Sermon from November 7th, 2021. The passage was from Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 10. Our opening music was by Abigail Baker. Take care.
Oh. 